0: The first reading for the third Sunday of Easter comes from the Acts of the Apostles, the ninth chapter, beginning at the first verse. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine And he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Christ has risen from the dead. God's Father has him with glory and honor. He has given him dominion over the works of his hands. The epistle reading comes from the revelation of Saint John, the fifth chapter. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it, and I began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. John, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. And this is the gospel of our Lord. To you, Lord Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In our gospel reading today, Peter says something that many of us have said on a Sunday afternoon. I am going fishing. But where we probably say it with some glee, looking forward to a relaxing time on the shore, some quiet family time together, Peter says it with a very different connotation. You see, it's only been a week or two since Good Friday, and Peter's wounds are still very raw. Not physical wounds, mental ones, emotional ones, spiritual ones. Peter, as you recall, has let Jesus down terribly. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus needed the support and care of his closest friend, Peter couldn't even stay awake. When the guards came to arrest Jesus, Peter whipped out his sword and slashed off the ear of the high priest's servant, only to be chided by Jesus, who undid Peter's sword work and healed his enemy. And then despite all Peter's bravado and claims that even if I have to die, I will never betray or abandon you, Lord. Peter fled the garden and then denied even knowing who Jesus was when confronted by a servant girl. He abandoned Jesus and then hid in fear after Jesus had died. He didn't even believe the women when they told him that Jesus was returned from the grave. Knowing all of this, Peter is rightly disappointed with himself. He knows now that Jesus is alive. He has seen Jesus in the flesh, has even spoken and eaten with him. But Peter assumes that his time of being a disciple is over. After all that he's done, after all of his failures, in light of all his weakness and sin, why in the world would Jesus still have him? And so he turns to his friends He is formerly fellow disciples and says, I am going fishing. I'm going back to my old life. There's nothing here for me anymore because there's no way that I could come back from what I did to Jesus. But Peter was wrong. Thankfully, joyfully, Peter was dead wrong. He assumed that his sin was too deep. His offenses were too great for Jesus to ever take him back. But they weren't. Peter wanted to just slink away and assume that what was done was done. And so Jesus comes to him. Peter doesn't even want to talk about it, but Jesus digs into that sin. He holds it up before Peter's face, and then he takes it away forever. Jesus doesn't just pretend that nothing happened. Peter sinned terribly, and he needed to acknowledge that. But by acknowledging it, by confessing it in faith, by looking to Jesus Christ, Peter is restored as a disciple. More importantly, he is forgiven. Forgiven of his cowardice, forgiven of his weakness, forgiven of his denial, forgiven of everything that he had done against Jesus, Forgiven of all that he had done wrong. And notice that this forgiveness isn't based on anything Peter did or is supposed to do. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, have you learned a lesson? Do you promise to never do it again? Because if Peter's forgiveness is based on his own promises, well, we know how well he keeps those. His promises were at the very heart of his sin. His confidence was in himself when he promised to stay awake, when he promised to stay with Jesus to the end, when he promised to die rather than abandon Jesus. And he failed miserably. And so Jesus doesn't base Peter's forgiveness on Peter's actions, but on his own. Peter is forgiven. By the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, by his sacrificial death, by his atoning cross and empty tomb, Peter is restored and forgiven, not based on Peter's promises for the future, but on Jesus' completed acts upon the cross. And dear friends in Christ, so too is your forgiveness. So often, people who come to faith later in life, and even lifelong Christians, They hear the good news of Jesus Christ and they receive it with joy. But then they fall back into an old sinful habit and they assume, like Peter, that they're now disqualified. They believe the Word of God, but they can't escape their past. They want to do what's right, but they fall into sinful temptation. Their lust gets the better of them, or their addiction, or their greed or their foul mouth, or their anger, or their grudges, or whatever it might be. Those sins that they fought so hard to get away from catch up to them, overtake them, drag them down to the pits of depravity once again. And when we find ourselves overwhelmed by our sin, we, like Peter, assume that that's that. We look at the filthy, wretched state of our lives, at our repeated failures and shortcomings. We look at all the sin and guilt that we have weakly, willingly invited back into our lives, and that's all that we can see. We see so much sin, so much guilt, and we assume that Jesus could never forgive us, would never want to see us again. We know that Jesus is holy and righteous, and when we are covered in so much filth and iniquity, we don't see how he could possibly love us anymore. Just like Peter, we too are wrong. Thankfully, joyfully, we are dead wrong. Because no matter how deep our sin might be, the love of Jesus Christ is deeper. We are not saved by our deeds. We are not saved by driving out our own sin. We are not saved by anything that we can do or promise not to do we are saved by grace through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are cleansed by His holy blood that He willingly shed for us upon the cross. We are forgiven by His mercy and His sacrifice. We are restored and renewed by His actions, not ours. And His actions are perfect, almighty, and eternal. This morning we were blessed to witness a glorious miracle here in church. This morning, we had the privilege of seeing four sinners receive the eternal washing of regeneration in the waters of baptism. And this was not just a neat thing to do to welcome them as members. It was not just a formality that gives us a nice photo opportunity and an excuse to eat cake. In the waters of baptism, God himself worked new life And eternal forgiveness in the hearts of Tennille and Sidney and Duncan and Charlie. And he's done the same for you as well. In the waters of baptism, all your sins are washed away. Not just once, but forever. The guilt of your past, your present, and your future, they are washed away from you. And you are clothed in the holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. In the eyes of God, no matter how sinful you are, no matter what sins continue to haunt and plague your life, you are holy, innocent, and righteous in his sight, washed clean, made white as snow by the blood of Jesus Christ. All your sin is forgiven. Yes, all of it. The sins you have done, The sins you are doing, the sins you will do, the sins you don't know about, the sins you promise you'll never do again, and yet fall into time and time again. By grace, through faith, no matter how deep your sin might be, the love of Jesus Christ is deeper, and you are forgiven. Now this doesn't mean that we seek to live a life of flagrant sin just because we know that Jesus will forgive us. You know, imagine that you're sitting in your favorite restaurant, and an old friend comes over to greet you and tells the waiter, you know what, I'll pay for my friend's dinner today. And then you say to the waitress, wow. Well, in that case, let's add on a couple of appetizers, and the salad bar, and a few more drinks, and the most expensive dessert you have, and tell you what, how about five steak dinners to go? That's abusing the gift. That's taking advantage of someone else's generosity. The same is true of us. When we hear of the forgiveness that Jesus freely gives to us, and then we just choose to wallow in our sin and continue ignoring His holy word in our lives. We don't try to have our cake and eat it too, like most people think of, because the cake that the world offers, it's made out of manure. It's gross. We are not called to live a life of sin and wretchedness. Despite the world's promises of fun and freedom and good times, These things lead only to death, depression, and despair. We are called to something far better. We are called to live by God's word, which protects us from so much of the heartache and pain that this world has to offer. Not to earn God's forgiveness, but in joyful response to the forgiveness that he so freely gives. Peter, after being forgiven and restored, didn't keep on denying Jesus and say, ah, he forgave me once, I'm sure he'll do it again. Saul, upon having his heart turned by Jesus, didn't keep killing Christians because he knew he'd be forgiven. We shouldn't look at the sinful temptations in our life and say, well, that's just the way I am, and then lie down to revel in and bathe in the filth of our sin, knowing Jesus is going to forgive us in the end anyway. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we seek to rise above our sinful nature. We desire to turn away from our sins that are so hurtful and destructive. The sin that seeks to consume our life so that we wind up loving it more than Jesus. Martin Luther had just explained the gospel and the free gift of forgiveness to a class of his. When a student piped up and said, Does that mean, then, that we are free to do whatever we please? Luther responded, Yes. But the question is, as a Christian... What pleases you? Jesus Christ has rescued us from our slavery to sin. Why would we want to willingly put ourselves back under its sinful power? And so we pray that God would give us the strength to live a sanctified life according to his holy word. That he would give us the strength to turn from our sinful temptations and desires. But when we fail... When, instead of turning from temptation, we run to it with open arms like an old friend, when we fall back into that sin, which we will, by grace, through faith, all is forgiven. Yes, all. All the sins we swore we would never do again. All the sins that blindside us and we never thought we'd do in the first place. All the sins that we struggle with and know are so wrong but we just can't help ourselves. When we look to Jesus Christ in faith, when we repent, even if it's the umpteenth time, we are forgiven and restored by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not because we'll never do it again, not because we promise to change our ways, not because we are going to try our hardest to clean up our lives. Yes, we strive to turn away from our sin, but that's not what our forgiveness is based on. It is based solely upon the grace and mercy and love of the one true and triune God. No matter how deep your sin is, no matter how long you've strayed from God's word, no matter how terrible you are and will continue to be, by the cross and empty tomb of Jesus Christ, all is forgiven. Yes, all. That's the depth of Jesus' grace. That's how powerful his sacrificial death and resurrection truly are. That's what Jesus has done for you and for me and for all people. Look to the cross in faith. Acknowledge and repent of your sin and you are forgiven. Because if Jesus can forgive Peter, if Jesus can forgive Saul, if Jesus can forgive me, he can forgive you. And he has For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of all of your sin, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.